For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Eva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Governor Stitt is getting an anti-abortion bill to make the procedure a felony, punishable by a penalty of up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. The final vote in the House came as abortion rights advocates were gathered at the Capitol to protest other measures before lawmakers. Neva, do you think the governor will sign this measure? Well, I think we'll wait to see. I mean, in the past, the governor certainly indicated that he wants to be viewed and his record thus far uh, shows that he's a strong pro-life governor in the legislation that he has signed. And uh, I think one would expect that that would be true with the bill now uh, on his desk. So, uh, and this bill uh, is like many bills that we're seeing in the, in the legislature. I mean, it is something that basically is... Uh, demonstrating, I think, to the voters back home in these districts uh, of these Republican lawmakers uh, where they stand on central issues that voters pay a lot of attention to and, frankly, are very supportive of. So while there is always uh, there's always two points of view and there's always the uh, the protests and the the opposite side on an issue like uh, uh, abortion. I think what we see is the strong pro-life statement being made. And, you know, while the federal courts uh, have recently uh, uh, upheld some state laws that severely restrict access to abortion, to abortion, the outright uh, ban of the procedure is yet to be allowed. There's a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of discussion with the fact that the Supreme Court uh, is uh, expected to weigh in this year on Roe v. Wade. So I think um, I think there was no surprise to what took place this week, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Ryan. Well, there's you know, there's a lot to unpack here. That you know, that Michael, your first question to Neva about whether the governor is going to sign this. I mean, yeah, next week is filing week, uh, and the governor, as of now, uh, unless unless it happened, uh, you know, between you know waking up this morning, doesn't have a, a really an, an announced strong primary challenge. Um, and I think that. If Governor Stitt were to veto this, uh, though, which I hope that he does, um, I think that, you know, that opens the window uh, for somebody to use that as kind of a launch pad into a primary challenge to, to Governor Stitt. Uh, I think he can survive that. I think he can make it out of a primary, veto this and make it out of a primary. But it's important to kind of keep that context in mind that everything that's happening at the Capitol right now, whether it has to do with, with abortion uh, or taxes, is happening in the context of a filing period that happens next week for uh, people uh, filing uh, for re-election or filing to challenge an incumbent or filing for any number of the open seats that we'll talk about. Um, the other thing is when you look at this ban, uh, this near total ban on abortion, and you compare it to the effectively total ban on abortions in Texas, um, this sets up a very different legal challenge. The uh, SB6 out of Texas that has been, become notorious and has driven lots of women in Texas to Oklahoma clinics to receive abortion care, um, that uh, has bypassed a lot of the judicial scrutiny by giving individuals in Texas, private citizens, the right to bring litigation against abortion providers and those seeking abortions. Um, this bill in Oklahoma is, is much more just of a straight up, you know, we're going to create this felony. It would be the state enforcing this. There's no question that the Constitution is, is in play. I don't think that there's any question that this bill on its face is unconstitutional if you measure it by the 40 plus years of jurisprudence since Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and all of the other 
Supreme Court cases that have upheld the fundamental right of a uh, woman in, in the United States to seek abortion care and reproductive health care. Um, so this would create that challenge. And that's the whole intent of it, is this idea that with the new uh, you know, supermajority of conservative justices, that there is an opportunity uh, to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think even uh, folks in the you know, pro-reproductive rights world, like myself, recognize that there is a better chance than there has been in a generation that Roe v. Wade could go uh, by the wayside. And so we're going to see um, abortion rights uh, and reproductive health care rights you know, increasingly become state matters, um, and then also matters of, of, of technology and healthcare, uh, so and health care, and health sciences. So um, you know, we're moving to more and more you know, medical abortions instead of surgical abortions. Um, it's going to be dip more difficult for states to regulate those things. So there's still going to be a role for the federal government. But we are entering a new landscape right now. And this bill is a real direct shot at that old precedent trying to create uh, a new landscape for abortion politics. I think it's important to note, though, just as kind of the the postscript to this, that the bill did pass off the in the House 70 to 14. There were 16 members that uh, did not vote. There was only one Republican that uh, that voted against the measure, and that's someone of uh, the person's term limited. But um, I think it is important to note that this is broad, wide support in the Oklahoma legislature and, and specifically the House of Representatives for this piece of legislation. Yeah, I, you know, I visited with Representative Cindy Munson. She's the leader-elect of the House Democratic Caucus, and her experience is, is, was similar to mine. And the politics of this is that, you know, there's a sense that if you vote against these bills, um, that you're going to, you know, lose your election. Well, that's just simply not the case. And frankly, you know, whenever I was in the legislature back in the the mid 2000s, you know, we might have three or four Democrats, uh, including myself, that would vote against measures like this. You know that now uh, you've got nearly 20 members and the Democratic caucus united against these pieces of legislation. I think that that's a significant change. But I think Leader Munson's experience, when you're actually out talking to voters, abortion is and reproductive rights is a deeply personal issue. And you know those conversations aren't as black and white as the debates uh, that we see in the legislature play out. And you rarely win or lose votes on this issue. You may mobilize folks. Um, but you know, you're not really changing folks' mind. But when you have those those real intimate conversations, it becomes much more than just about abortion itself, and really touches on, I think, more important issues like uh, maternal health care, uh, infant mortality rates, child care, uh, you know, poverty rates among uh, women and and single mothers. You know, those are those are issues that really come up in those conversations with with voters at the doorstep. Norman Mayor Bria Clark fails to get enough votes to win her bid for re-election. The city's new mayor will now be Larry Heikola, who got more than 53% of the vote. Ryan, are you surprised by this result? I think everybody's surprised um, that uh, the, the, the way the vote turned out, not just that, um, that uh, Heikola won, the incoming you know, mayor-elect Heikola won, but that he won by you know, such a large percentage. Uh, that there was a, an enormous turnout. I think you know, over 25,000 votes cast in a runoff election for mayor. Uh, that's that's a that's a huge turnout. Um, and you know, I, if you look back, um, the the one term that Mayor Clark had as mayor of Norman, uh, boy, you know, she did just about everything that, uh, or, or not maybe she did, but the things that happened during her her term. You know, that anybody uh, could come out of that and get reelected, I think, is, would be difficult. And I mean, you've got the pandemic, uh, you had the, uh, the the summer of, of unrest and and, uh, and uh, protest over 
um, uh, the, the racial uh, uprising that happened in the summer of, of 2020, um, the, the resulting efforts to you know, rethink the way that uh, police departments are funded in, in the state of Oklahoma. And then, of course, that decision then becoming you know, to try to reallocate some funds, not all of the funds, but some of the funds from the Norman Police Department into uh, you know, non-traditional police activities like mental health care and first responders that have uh, mental health uh, crisis training and social services. Those things then became captured in the defund the police movement. And then you had the COVID protocol backlash where folks were upset about having to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And uh, so all of that happens. She had a uh, she faced a recall election, won uh, that. I mean, I, I think that in, in many ways that we can look at Mayor Clark as a two term mayor, uh, even though she served one term because of you know, surviving that recall election. Um, but I think that, you know, it definitely shows that there is a that Norman remains a, a city divided. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be really incumbent upon Mayor Heikkila as to whether or not he tries to bring the city together or whether he continues to, or whether he tries to play to the, the base of folks that really rallied to get him in the mayor's office to begin with. Mayor Clark, uh, you know, just all the credit in the world to her first term in mayor, uh, as mayor, uh, I don't think we've seen the end of her political career and public service career in Oklahoma. She was magnanimous, magnanimous in victory said that she supported Mayor Heikkila and would you know, help with all of the transition work. So, you know, you don't don't count Bria Clark out as, as something as somebody who's, uh, you know, off the landscape in uh, Oklahoma politics just yet. Neva. Well, I think it is. I, I agree with Ryan in terms of a not counting the mayor out for some future race. But when we talk about this race, I think what we saw was a very uh, strong campaign by both sides on which direction the city of Norman would go. I mean, would it continue to move down what is it was a very progressive left-leaning agenda uh, or would it or would it move back to what had more traditionally been a very pro-business environment uh, where the focus was on issues that really uh, the public by and large wants to uh, see taken care of. And you're right, Ryan, the backdrop, uh, defunding the police, uh, all of the things that had gone on during the mayor's uh, tenure uh, kind of piled up. And I think what we saw in the five-way primary uh, was um, an opportunity for these issues to really be out there in a big way. And and I think I would agree with Ryan in terms of the turnout. What was surprising is it is it is more rare to have a higher turnout in a runoff than it is in a primary. And, and this is what uh, happened uh, on Tuesday. I mean, we had about 1,600 more votes, I think it was, uh, uh, in the mayor's race than in the primary. And when you take into account that that was a good turnout uh, both times, uh, probably a 30% turnout, well beyond what is normal in municipal elections across the state, I think it is significant. So I think uh, the other takeaway from Tuesday evening is the fact that it was a it was a um, kind of a warm transition developing. I mean, the uh, the mayor-elect, Heikkila, uh, made uh, comments of, that were gracious in terms of trying to uh, set the stage that he wanted to bring the community together, work toward uh, issues uh, in a positive way. 
And to uh, Mayor Clark's uh, credit, she stepped up and said, look, I want to make sure that everyone understands that I'm going to uh, I'm going to be very supportive in the transition of power. Uh, I'm going to you know, I'm going to work with uh, Mayor Alec Heikkila. And uh, she basically uh, made made the point that she wanted to see the community continue to succeed. So I think uh, I think those are, are, are very positive takeaways from the election. I think the other thing that played into this uh, that was interesting is that on the same ballot was a, um, a, a bond issue that proposal for the city's infrastructure mm. replacement. Uh, it went down about the same way that the vote uh, went for Heikkila versus uh, uh, Clark. So I think what we saw is a rejection of kind of this, uh, uh, again, this agenda that had been at City Hall under Mayor Clark and the council, and uh, that by a, by a 55% uh, margin, uh, the voters said no. So in terms of what Ryan said in, uh, with regard to future races, I thought it was interesting in her social media that the mayor um, made the point uh, that uh, that she that she wanted to uh, close not only close out her campaign, but she was uh, ready to uh, prepare for future endeavors. And there is speculation. I mean, she is in the House district of uh, what will be an open seat. Emily Virgin terms out. Uh, mm -hmm. She is in that House district. So so we may see uh, whether we see that quick of a shift and uh, uh, the possibility of uh, filing for elective office next week remains to be seen but uh, I think uh, I think no one would uh, dismiss the idea that uh, Bria Clark probably is going to be on the political scene for uh, some time to come. The Legislative Office of Fiscal Transparency issued a report critical of the state's management of parks. The agency attacked the Department of Tourism for not having a detailed inventory of assets questioned some expenditures and said the division's recent spending does not line up with the things park users say are most important to them. The biggest issue was its $200 million deal with Swadley's Barbecue to operate five restaurants over 10 years. Neva, what are your thoughts on this report? Well, I think it is a report that that certainly raises more questions right now than probably we've seen answers. And from the lawmaker standpoint, when these kind of things get thrust onto the scene and and start to be talked about, they do delve into the details. And so I think we have a I think we have an instance where I believe it was about a two hour plus meeting that uh, uh, that took place with the uh, Tourism and Recreation Committee or and Loft uh, last week. Different uh, groups talking about this. And the uh, uh, certainly the director of uh, of the uh, Department of Tourism and Recreation was under fire, and um, you know I think uh, many folks walked away from that meeting. Uh, folks that I've talked to. Uh, believing that they didn't have sufficient answers and, as you say, uh, are asking for more information. But um, whether this is one, uh, just one isolated instance of a contract that uh, is going to be under great scrutiny or whether others uh, unfold, I think that will be the, the kind of the bigger question from the lawmakers' uh, point of view. But at the end of, at the end of all of this, what we have, uh, as, as I think the other conversation, is the governor was given great power to be able to name these folks that were going to be responsible for these uh, 
agencies and and be involved uh, across government uh, under under his uh, governorship. And now uh, we're seeing an instance where you know the director of uh, tourism and recreation, uh, someone that uh, came in with a an oil and gas background um, and was picked by the governor, tapped to to be one of his uh, top folks in the administration. And now I think uh, he's finding himself uh, really. Uh, under the microscope and a lot of the actions that have taken place are going to be, um, you know, seriously addressed in the future, probably. Ryan. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot. I, I showed up and watched, watched part of this and it, it was definitely uncomfortable in that room. If you are the, uh, the director, if you're director Winchester and you're in that room, it was uncomfortable. Uh, you were facing fire from both political parties. Um, Representative uh, Martinez, you know, questioned, you know, whether questioned Winchester's veracity. Uh, you, know, you know, Winchester, the direct director Winchester was saying that, um, you know, that they were having a hard time getting restaurants other than Swadley's to be interested in uh, operating these restaurants at state parks. And Representative Martinez, you know, said, uh, you know, if, if you're telling me that you're, you're, that the state was offering restaurants an opportunity to come in, operate a facility, and that even if you operate at a loss, we'll still pay you. Representative Martinez says they'd come out in droves because it doesn't matter how many customers you have. You're getting the management fees and all that other stuff. He said, I just have a really hard time believing that. Um, you had the chair of the loft committee, um, the Senate Appropriations Chair, Roger Thompson, um, pointing to his binder of the loft report with uh, a bunch of red tabs on it, saying that he had more questions that had uh, than had even begun to be addressed and that he would be addressing those directly with tourism and directly with the director. Uh, out of this, we also learned that there is a criminal investigation uh, that is now taking place between that's uh, uh, being uh, led by David Prater, the Oklahoma County District Attorney and the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. We don't know the full nature of that criminal investigation. Um, but I think that there were there were a lot of moments, you know, and, and just sitting sitting in the sitting in the hearing um, where you're just kind of incredulous, you know, that the, the state saying, well, we kind of plan on losing money, but if we're going to lose money, at least we ought to have good food. Uh, and I think what a, what a weird statement to, to say and, and think that that holds political water. Um, and, you know, and I'm somebody who uh, I'm a I'm a regular user of our state's parks um, and, you know, have a great deal of uh, respect for the folks that, that keep those things up and running and operational. Um, but I also want them to, to be there in perpetuity. And, you know, I think that most Oklahomans look at this and say, um, is this is this just mismanagement? Are we uh, is there corruption? I mean, all these unanswered questions uh, that are happening. And like Neva said, you know, Senator Julia Kurt um, mentioned at a press conference before that loft hearing, uh, she talked about the fact that a lot of this was uh, the result, not necessarily these decisions itself, but the lack of oversight is the result of the legislature giving Governor Stiff this power, this power to appoint the director rather than to have and moving the commission to a um, uh, an oversight role rather than one that had control over who the director was and what the director was doing. One of the things that, that she said that was you know, really shocking to me is that um, when that happened, uh, that the commission has not even met since January of 2020 and all of the expenditures that are that were highlighted in this loft report. Uh, this is a quote from Ju uh, Senator Julia Kurt. All of the expenditures that are being highlighted as a concern have happened since that commission stopped meeting. Um, so we may have one party government in Oklahoma, but we certainly don't have unified government in Oklahoma. And uh, Loft, 
uh, is really the legislature, you know, so, since the legislature gave so much power to the governor, Loft is really the, the most important school that legislators have right now to even begin to try to hold the executive branch accountable uh, for a lot of its ability to make unilateral decisions and take unilateral action. Well, and I think it's shocking to many of those lawmakers when they heard that in this particular contract that we're talking about, one contract uh, that had originally been for $4 million in the first year, and they've actually paid uh, this particular contract $17 million. So you're not talking small dollars here. And you're right, Ryan. I think a lot of business people uh, sitting in the room and those that have uh, been reading these stories, listening to what's going on, um, are concerned that if we're going to take a business model approach to government, then we have to make it work. uh, And it has to be with what in mind is the taxpayer's money being used. So I think the other point uh, is the fact that, as you say, those folks that do use these facilities, uh, even in a survey back several years ago that was uh, taken about what people wanted to see that use the parks frequently, I mean, their priorities were uh, RV hookups, hiking, and cabins. Uh, It was not restaurants. It was not other things. So I think if you're going to if you're going to poll the the public, you're going to figure out what they're looking for in terms of services being provided by the state, and then you go a completely different direction. Uh, there's going to be certainly a lot of questions and a great deal of accountability that's called uh, that's called for in this instance. The state Supreme Court approves language for an initiative petition to put recreational marijuana on the ballot. State Question 820 would legalize the use of marijuana for anyone over 21 and allow for the resentencing of anyone previously convicted of marijuana-related offenses. Ryan, I'm guessing the group is celebrating this decision? Yeah, well, in full disclosure, I'm a consultant Mm -hmm. and and leader in the organization that has been moving State Question 820 forward. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, this is a a very big hurdle to clear uh, to move forward to the signature collection process. I mean, there's still Still a lot of steps before we're on a November 2022 ballot, but this certainly, you know, made us uh, one step closer uh, to being able to be out in the field. There's still some bureaucratic things that have to happen uh, between, you know, getting the court's order uh, to the Secretary of State's office, getting forms uh, formatted and printed and approved and all of that before we actually have folks out on the ground collecting signatures. but you know that right now seems imminent, and we're we're um, moving to that idea of getting 100,000 plus signatures, and we need to turn it around 96,000. But we'll want to turn in you know more than 100,000 or so to give us some cushion. Uh, but getting those things turned in sometime at the end of June, and you know hopefully you know counted and moved towards a November 2022 ballot. But um, in terms of what this could mean for Oklahomans, is you know greater regulation, uh, greater enforcement capability for the state on all medical marijuana or on all medical marijuana or recreational marijuana operations, if, if this passes, a 15% tax on uh, recreational marijuana. So recreational marijuana would be uh, eligible to be purchased by those 21 and up, uh, in, you know, whether you're an Oklahoman or not. Uh, so 21 and up without a patient card, you pay a 15% tax compared to the 7% tax that patients like myself currently pay. Uh, we'd you know, be able to sell. You know, we, we, we already see a lot of Texans coming up to our casinos on the, the southern border uh, you know, we could, and we, I love taking uh, money from Texans and putting it into uh, Oklahoma core services. Well, this would give us another avenue to do that. Um, and I think importantly, it would create a real avenue for some criminal justice reform uh, in the sense that thousands of Oklahomans would be eligible for um, an expungement process that would be 
more streamlined than is currently available uh, to get old misdemeanor or felony marijuana convictions off the record for things that wouldn't be crimes today. Um, and I think, you know, looking at polling that we have uh, that we've done around this issue, Oklahomans are ready for this. Um, and I think uh, and finally, you know, our state question 820, which which is moving forward compared to other efforts. Um, this is a statutory initiative. It's not amending the Constitution, which I think is incredibly important because uh, marijuana policy is, you know, constantly in need of, of, of change amendment. If there's something that's that's happening that we don't anticipate, lawmakers and our elected representatives will need the ability to come back and, and make some changes. And so, um, you know, this isn't passing this and it's set in stone. It's you know, we we pass this and we we create a model, a workable model uh, that we can improve up on in the future, and in the meantime create millions of dollars in, in revenue for important core services in the state of Oklahoma. Neva. I think it was interesting that it was certainly not a unanimous decision by the state Supreme Court. Five, uh, five justices uh, uh, voted that the measure did was constitutionally sufficient. But when you look at the three that concurred with parts of that majority opinion, but disagreed uh, disagreed on the remainder of it. One of the things that was said was that they did not believe that it was uh, constitutionally sufficient because the measure uh, seeks to legalize a the use of a controlled substance. And we even had one justice uh, uh, who disagreed with the entirety of the majority's uh, ruling. And 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 basically in that. Uh, um, in that, he said that the voters are not being informed that they would be approving acts which violate federal law. So, you know, again, this move toward uh, the the idea of a state question on the ballot, voters being able to decide, do they want full-blown legalized marijuana in the state of Oklahoma? Um, I think that um, it will be interesting to see how quickly the group can can move forward. If there's any, uh, there's certainly a lot of hurdles, as we all know when we start talking about trying to get a state question on the ballot but this will be a fascinating uh, a, a, a fascinating state question to see how it moves forward and then to see really I, I've seen poll polls done where you can kind of get the result you're looking for on any question I think as people begin to uh, get more information and see the entirety of what the state question may involve and entail in terms of the of, of what it would do, uh, we'll see what kind of campaign uh, mounts not only for the state question if it comes to be uh, on a reality to be on the ballot, but how aggressive there might be an anti uh, effort to stop this. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.